0: The scripture reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, so under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want
1: Thanks, GC, for reading scripture for us. It's very providential that we have a lawyer reading this text on the law this morning. (laughs) Uh, Let me pray for us again as we prepare our hearts uh, to hear from God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, indeed, your word is good, and we pray that you would open our hearts to it. Father, help us to respond to your word. May your spirit move powerfully among us to give us ears to hear hearts that are soft to what you have to say. Humble us, we pray before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by asking us a, a question. Uh, do more rules lead to more obedience? Do more rules lead to more obedience? I recognize that we live in a fine country. And because we live in a fine country, we may be inclined to think that you know policies rules, laws can bring about better behaviour. I mean, we, we, we depend on it, right, in, in society. In fact, some of us as parents, you know, there's, a, there's this temptation or this appeal uh, 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 concerning the use of rules in, in parenting. You know, I, I, as a parent, I can see the, why rules are so appealing because I, it makes me, it gives me a sense of control. You know, it gives me a sense of ability to change the behaviour, to manage the behaviour of my children. You know, so I can see the attractiveness of believing that rules can change behavior and bring about obedience. So is this how we also think about living and growing as a Christian? Do we think about rules as the means for how we live and grow as Christians, or how we become a Christian even? You know, it's it's appealing for us to turn Christianity into something that we can do for ourselves, like keep rules. You know, I, I feel better about myself if I believe that I'm able to be a good person and to live a better life just by obeying a set of rules or laws. So the question we began the service with this morning, you know who or what am I trusting? to make me holy, I think exposes uh, what we are really depending on. Right? Is it rules or is it something else? Now, in, in the Old Testament, God gave His law to Israel at Mount Sinai. Uh, the Ten Commandments, as you know, many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. You know, we, read about, we read about them in Exodus 20. Uh, the Ten Commandments are really a summary of this law that God gave to Israel. And this, this is the law that Paul is thinking about in our text in Romans 7. And really this text asks us this question, can the law make us holy? Can God's law make us holy? Now, many Jews during the time of the Apostle Paul, they, they, they thought so. They, they trusted in the law. They, they believed that God's law had the power to give life. They believed that the law had the power to change lives. In fact, the Jews even had this saying that, you know, went along these lines, more law equals more life. So, so that's, that's what the Jews believed in, at the time of Paul. But I'm not sure if, if you've noticed that so far in Romans, Paul has been saying the exact opposite about the law. You know, as you look at the earlier parts of Romans that we've covered, Paul has been saying Uh, the opposite things about the law. You know, for example, 3 verse 20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why? Because through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then there's an even more shocking statement in chapter 5 verse 20, the law came in not to reduce sin, not to stop sin, but the law came in to what? increase the trespass. Uh, That's a shocking statement for a law-loving Jew to make. Law came in to increase the trespass. So interesting, more rules equals more disobedience. And as we heard last week from the early part of Romans 7, if we belong to Jesus, then we are no longer bound or married To the law, that's that's the image that Paul uses in Romans 7, 1 to 6. It says in verse 5 and 6, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. You know, so, so if you hear Paul making all these statements about the law, it's, it's shocking, right? And as a good Jew, you'd you be, you be thinking, gosh, Paul, are, are, you, are you anti-law? You know, are, you, are you throwing away that religious heritage that we had from the Old Testament, which is the very law of God? Are, are you throwing all that away? Are you saying that the law that we received at Mount Sinai is useless? That's a bad thing, that we should just be done with it. Paul, are you saying that? Is, is the law anti-gospel, uh, sorry, is, is the gospel anti-law? Is, is the gospel opposed to the law in that sense? You know, this, this could sound like a, you know, a theological debate, but this is, this is a question that affects every single one of us. Because what we understand about the law has huge bearing on how we think about what it means to live a life that is pleasing to God. How do we live a life that is pleasing to God? Is it through the law? Or is there something else? So this is not an academic question, but it affects how we live, how we think about how we are the Lord's people. So we'll go through the text by asking really just three questions as outlined in your ministry guides. But before we dive into these questions, I want to just really quickly mention two wrong responses to this question about the law. Right, number one, the, this, this thing called antinomianism, which, which simply means anti-law, right? So antinomianism says the law is bad and, and we should be done with it. We should just discard it. Don't read your Old Testament, <laughs> right? I mean, so that's what some people say. Don't read your Old Testament, just focus on the New Testament, because why? The law is bad. Just discard it. And because of grace, we don't have to repent or obey anymore right? That, that's anti-nomianism. That's a wrong response to this question about the law. The other wrong response is legalism, right? What's legalism? Legalism says, well, the law is really, really good. In fact, we, we can make ourselves holy simply by obeying the law, or at least externally. In fact, we, we can even be doubly sure by adding our own rules and standards to the law of God to make sure that we really live a life. That is holy, right? So that's legalism. And, and I'll put to us that all of us, we, we usually fall somewhere between one of these two things. <laughs> right? in, in, in our hearts, there's always a, a tendency towards antinomianism, or in our hearts, there's a tendency towards legalism. I think as God searches our hearts, He, he shows us where we fall on this spectrum so neither response is right, and I pray that as we go through Romans 7, uh, God will show us how we should live in light of God's grace. What does it mean to live in light of God's grace? So question number one, is, is the law bad? Right? Is the law bad? You know, this is the question that Paul asks in verse 7. You know, what then should we say? That the law is sin? Right, because I you know Paul has just said things about how the law increases the trespass, so is the law sinful? And of course, his reply following that, by no means, you know, not, not at all. God, God forbid that I should say that the law is sinful. I don't mean that at all. So Paul says there's nothing wrong with the law, but we have to understand its purpose. We, we need to know why the law is given, what it's for. So Paul says, the law defines sin. Right? That's why he says in the second half of verse 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law gives definition to what's right and what's wrong. Paul says, I would, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Right? And that's incidentally, that's the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. So the law helped Paul understand that it is wrong to envy others. The law helped Paul understand that he shouldn't jealously want what other people have, so covetousness. So, so Paul says the law is good because it reflects God's holy character and His will for us, right? Do not covet, be content. Right? That, that, refi- that reveals what God is like. That, that he's, he's not a grasping kind of God, but He's a God who gives contentment in Him. So the law defines sin. The, the law also reveals sin in us. So the, the law didn't just help Paul understand that coveting is sin. It, it did more than that. Uh, the law exposed the covetousness in his own heart. You know, the, the, the 10th Commandment says, you shall not covet. And it, it, it's interesting, when you, when you look at the 10th Commandments, the, 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 la, the last commandment, the 10th Commandment, focuses not on outward actions, right? But the last commandment actually focuses on our hearts, you shall not covet. Now, covetousness is something that we don't have to manifest in outward action, but we know in our hearts uh, things like greed, things like envy, things like jealousy, these things exist in our hearts even if we never ever act them out. So so the law focuses not not simply on external actions, but the law focuses on our hearts. What's inside of us? What motivates us? what we really desire in our hearts. So so really, the law of God calls us to obey God, not just externally, not just keeping the letter of the law, but the law calls us to obey God from our hearts. And merely keeping the letter of the law externally isn't enough. In fact, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, where he's expounding the implications of the law, what did he say? That we don't have to murder someone physically, physically, To actually be guilty of murder, all it takes is for us to despise someone in our hearts. That in God's sight constitutes murder, right? So so the Ten Commandments really get to the heart of our obedience, not just our external actions. And and Paul realizes this, that's why the law convicts him. The law kind of exposes what's in his heart. And and that's how the law should be working in us as well. As as we come to the Ten Commandments, we we shouldn't just say, I've never done any of those things, I'm fine. But rather we should think, how does this expose my heart? How does this reveal what's really going on in my heart? So the law is holy, righteous, and good. Paul says that in verse 12. The law is spiritual, verse 14, because it comes from God who is spirit. So if the law isn't the problem, what is? What is the problem? You know, it's sin. Paul says the law isn't the problem, but sin is the problem. You know, it, it's, like a, 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 it's like someone committing a crime, you know, and this person gets arrested, and this person tells the police, it's not, it's not my fault, you know, the, the law was there. <laughs> it was the law's fault. <laughs> the law's fault that I did something wrong, you know. If the law wasn't there, then I should be fine. No, You see how upside down that is? So Paul is saying, hey, it's not the fault of the law. It's the fault of us because of our sin. And in fact, to, to, make, to make matters worse, our sin hijacks the law and uses it for its evil purposes. You know, it's, it's like a, back to the illustration of the criminal. You know, you, you, this guy is arrested because he's broken the law. So it's not the fault of the law, but it's, it's his, 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 his offense that's led to his arrest. And after he gets arrested, what does he do? He, he, he exploits sort of technical legal loopholes in the law to try to get himself off. Right? And, and, then, and then he kind of tries, to, tries to acquit himself based on these legal technical loopholes. That, that's exactly what sin does. Right? But the, the problem is not the law, the problem is sin. And to make matters worse, sin exploits the law for its own evil ends. You know, look at, look at what verse 8 says. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You know, what does it mean for sin to seize an opportunity through the commandment? Now, we need to understand something about sin. Right, so, so this, part of this sermon is helping us to understand the nature of sin. Now, we've heard of the saying, you know, forbidden fruit tastes sweetest. I I think we we understand that saying, you know, something that's forbidden tends to be more attractive. Now, why is that? Why is that? I think there's something perverse and, and something rebellious about sin, right? When we think about sin, it's not just doing something wrong. There's a there's a rebellious bent in sin. There's a, there's a rebellious bent in, in all of us when we sin. Uh, there's something in us that, that moves us to, to challenge authority, to, to undermine what we know to be right. Now, if, if we're not allowed to do something, you know, it, it makes us want to do it even more. Right? You know, I, I've, I have two sons, so I know what that looks like at home. Right? Every time we lay down the law, they test the lines. They, they go right to the edge and say, Is this okay? <laughs> how about this? <laughs> how, about, how about this? <laughs> Is this okay? Right? You know, th- there's this bent in our hearts that, that tests the law. Uh, let me share this story. You know, credit to Daniel Bay, who told me this story. It's a, it's a really good story uh, that illustrates this point. So, so Daniel used to teach, uh, he, used to, he did some relief teaching in, in a secondary school. So, one of, the, one of the disciplinary issues in this secondary school was that the students were not, the, the boys, they were not tucking their shirts in, right? So they, they all kind of left their shirts out, right? Because it was cool, cool to do so, right? Because the rules said, what, well, tuck your shirts in. So they didn't like that, so they, they left their shirts out to rebel against the rules. So the, the school had this brilliant idea, Say, hey, why don't we just change the rules? <laughs> right, why, why don't we just allow boys to leave their shirts out, right? Then problem solved. You know, all the boys with their shirts out, they are, Abiding by the rules, fantastic. You know, no more disciplinary issues. What do you think happened? What do you think happened? The boys started tucking their shirts in. <laughs> right, they say, oh, okay, you tell us to tuck our shirts up? Well, we, 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 we'll show you, we'll, we'll leave our shirts in. Right? That, that'll show you, stick it to the man, right? That, that's exactly what the law does, friends. Oh, sorry, that's exactly what sin does with the law. What, we don't, what, we not, what the law tells us not to do, sin, the rebelliousness of sin moves us to do it. So when confronted with the law, sin stirred up in Paul the desire to rebel against God. So he, he coveted, even though he knew it was wrong. So when the commandment came, that's why he says in verse 9, when the commandment came, sin came alive. Right? Because sin looked at the commandment and said, great, another thing, another law to break. Another way I can rebel against God. Sin came alive. You know, sin, this is how sin deceives us, friends. Right? Sin, sin, sin is really deceptive. Sin promises much, but it never delivers. And what's the result? Paul died because the law convicted him as guilty of sin. Friends, we, we need to come to grips with the nature of sin. We need to come to grips with our own sin, because when we sin, we're not just doing something wrong. When we sin, we are actively rebelling against God, against His character and against His ways. Now, sin in essence, it's not just disobedience, but sin in essence is a desire to be independent from God and His authority. You know, we, we all see that no trespassing sign, right? We're familiar with signs like that. You know, when we see a sign like that, sometimes some of us are tempted to actually trespass. <laughs> right? We, we see a sign, don't go, say, oh, maybe I should go. <laughs> right? That, that's, that's what sin does. You know, we, we see the sign that says no trespassing and we go ahead anyway. You know, this, this is what the Bible refers to as transgression Right, what, what is transgression? Transgression means you, you see the line, you, you see that no trespass sign, and you cross the line. So, so that's transgression, right? So, so all transgression is sin, right? Uh, because transgression just means that you, you know what we shouldn't do, and you cross the line anyway. You go ahead and do it. So to willfully cross a line, God says we mustn't cross. That's transgression. And you know in, in that, we, we see how sinful sin is. That's why Paul says in verse 13, through the commandment, sin becomes sinful beyond measure. Right? Because God defines what good and bad is and we don't listen to Him. And we do what displeases Him because we want to rebel against His authority. So sin, the law shows sin to be sinful beyond measure. You know, I think, I think we understand this, right? Because let me, let me ask you this question. You know, which do you think is worse? Doing something that we don't know is wrong or doing something that we know is wrong? Which is worse? It's when we know something is wrong and we do it anyway. And that's transgression. And, and Paul says, the law shows sin to be sinful beyond measure. So, the law promises us life if we obey, verse 10. But sin turns the law into something that condemns and kills us. So, what does this mean for us? Friends, what does this mean for us? This means that we cannot depend on the law to make us holy because of our sinfulness, because of what sin does. The law is useless, cannot make us holy. And friends, think about this, if, if God's good law, if, if His very Word, if, if His good law has no power to make us holy, then how much more useless are our own rules and standards? It's something to think about, right? So question number two, if the law is good, then, then why don't I obey it? Paul looks at this in verses 14 to 23. So we've seen how the law is good and how sin is the problem. So the law itself doesn't bring death, but it is sin that kills us through the law. You know, my friends, and and it gets worse. (laughs) I said, wow, can it get worse? (laughs) Yes, it gets gets worse. Paul goes on to, to show us how it gets worse. You know, Paul says it in these verses 14 to 23 that sin is not just a problem outside of us. Right? It's just, you can't just close the doors to the church and say, sin, stay outside, we'll be fine. No, we can't do that. Because why? Because sin is a problem inside of us. Not just outside, but inside of us. Paul says in these verses that sin is the enemy within us. That's Paul's point in verses 14 to 23. We don't obey the law because there is sin inside of every one of us. So, you know, some of you have heard this uh, phrase. It's a familiar phrase but good to kind of meditate on. So we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. That's what Paul is saying in verses 14 to 23. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. So beginning in verse 14, the tense tense changes to present tense. All the action words are in present tense, beginning in verse 14. So this is significant because one question about these verses is, hey Paul, are you talking about yourself as an unbeliever or are you talking about yourself as a believer? Which, Which one is it? And I acknowledge that many good Christians have differing views on this text, you know, this is a, one of the most challenging texts in the Old Testament, uh, sorry, in the New Testament uh, to, to, to understand. But I understand Paul to be speaking about himself as a Christian in these verses. So he uses the present tense, right? The present tense tells us that as he talks about this, he's talking about his present experience, he, he's talking about his now, this, this is what I'm like, now, as a follower of Jesus. So Paul says he agrees with the law, that the law is good, verse 16. Right? The law is good, I agree, it's a good thing. And Paul in verse 18 says, he wants to do what is right. So He wants to do the right thing, he, he wants to obey the law. And, and he says in, in his true self, in his inner being, verse 22, Paul delights, in the law of God. You know, he, he loves the law and he wants to obey it. He wants to do what God wants him to do. And now, and, and a, a person who's not a Christian will not be able to say these things about the law. A person who's not a Christian will, will not have this inward desire to walk in obedience to God. So do we, tr- do we truly delight in God and His Word in our hearts? You know, it's, it's, does our obedience go beyond just external obedience? Do we, do we truly love God in our hearts? You know, Paul does, and that shows that you know, this is what he really wants as a follower of Christ. So Paul wants to obey God, but he finds himself doing the very opposite. You, you get a sense of struggle in these verses. You know, he, he experiences an inner war, this ongoing struggle against sin. What does he say in verse 15? I do not understand my own actions. Right? You get this, you sense Paul's perplexity, you sense his almost confusion, I, I don't know why I keep on doing these things. Maybe some of us can relate to that. Now, why do I keep disobeying? If you look back on this past week, you know, I, I look back on my past week and I ask myself, why, God, why, why, why do I keep sinning against you? Why do I keep doing the very things that you say I shouldn't? Right, that, that's a struggle. Right? Paul says, I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Right, that's a painful struggle that Paul is going through. And why? You know, why? Why is there this struggle in Paul? Verse 14, he tells us, Paul acknowledges that he is of the flesh. He still lives uh, in this present life, in this fallen age. He's of the flesh. Now we need to be clear, when Paul says in verse 14 that he's of the flesh, it doesn't mean that he's still a slave to sin. It doesn't mean that, because we know in Romans, in in chapter six of Romans, that Christians have been freed from slavery to sin through the death and resurrection of Christ. So, so Paul doesn't mean that he's still a slave to sin. But at the same time, Paul is expressing what is true of our experience as Christians living in a fallen world. We haven't yet been fully perfected and glorified. You know, we, we, we still live in our fallen bodies. We still live in a fallen world. And because of these things, we will still struggle in the flesh. You know, it's a, it's a bit like migrating to a, a new country, right? I, imagine you you know, you, you've packed your bags, you've, you've migrated to a new country, you, you've become a citizen of that country, they, they've given you a passport, your identity has changed. Right? But then, you, then you arrive in a new country and and of course it, it takes you time to adjust to the new lifestyle in that new country. Right? You don't pick it up right away, but, but you kind of learn what it means to live as a citizen of that new country and, and slowly you kind of unlearn or you leave behind the ways of the old country as you learn what it means to live in a new country. So, so that, that's a bit like what, what it means to be a Christian. We've, we've received our new passports, we, we have a new identity, but we're, we're now unlearning what the old ways of the old life and, and we're learning what it means to live as citizens of this new country doesn't happen right away. But in the meantime, Paul says we will struggle. We will have to fight. So Paul confesses that apart from God's grace, he is unable to, on his own, to obey God. So the law is good. The law is holy. But Paul says, because I'm of the flesh, the law is beyond my reach. I I cannot do in my flesh what the law requires. So Paul says, you know, I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. That's why he says in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So, So Paul is saying, me, myself, on my own, I have no power to do what God requires. I have no ability to carry out what the law requires of me. So Paul's words remind us of what Jesus says in, verse, in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the law is good, but the law doesn't give us the power or ability to obey. You know, as, as Pastor Ian said last week, the law doesn't make us holy, it just makes us guilty. Sin dwells in us. And this is why Christianity is not self-help. We, we are not made right with God through our own efforts. Neither are we to grow in holiness in our own strength by our own attempts at law-keeping. We can't do it. We can't do it. If we, if we are trusting in our own efforts or the law to make us holy, what will happen? We'll either become proud and self-righteous or we'll become discouraged and give up. Romans 7 reminds us to trust ourselves less. To trust ourselves less and to trust in God more. Friends, you know Paul asks this later on in Romans. Right? Do we think of ourselves more highly than we ought? Do we think of ourselves more highly than we ought? Shouldn't we distrust ourselves more? No, I'm, I'm probably not as right as I think I am <laughs> about everything. You know th- think about this: if, if the Apostle Paul can humbly confess his own inability, how much more for us? You know, th- this is why we, we sing that, that familiar hymn, right? You know, come down. fount of every blessing, you know, there's this line that says, uh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And uh, friends, if, if we are not trusting ourselves, you know, but trusting God, we'll be able to sing this line with our full hearts. We say, yes, you're right. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm not, I'm not looking at anyone else, I'm looking at myself and I see in my heart this struggle with sin, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Friends, the normal Christian life involves fighting against the sin that remains in us. On, on this side of eternity, we have a sure hope of glory, but at the same time, we're not there yet and we will struggle while we wait. You know, that's why Paul says, if you look at verses 21 to 23, Paul says, you know, this, this is a principle that he finds to be true. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, what, evil lies close at hand. You know, evil is always just there, right, with us because, because we're struggling against sin continually. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, right, in my very self, another law waging war against the law of my mind. And and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is the language of fight. This is the language of struggle. And it's all in the present tense. This is going on in Paul's life. And this will be going on in our lives as well. On this side of eternity. So, friends, don't, don't be surprised, don't be disheartened when we struggle against sin. This is normal living the normal Christian life means we're we're continually turning away from sin and turning back to God again and again. So, struggling with sin doesn't mean that we keep on sinning, but struggling with sin in this sense means that we keep on repenting. That's what it means to struggle with sin. Keep on repenting. Because we're conscious of how Far short, we fall of what God requires. We have to turn back to Him again and again and again. So friends, if you're here and you say, "Wow, well, I don't struggle, <laughs> then friend, I, I, I'm more concerned about you. We should be more concerned if we don't struggle against sin. If we don't experience this sense of struggle in our lives, friends, then that is the more concerning thing. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it well, you know, dead men don't struggle. Dead men don't struggle. You know, one of the signs that we are alive, right? One of the signs that we have new life is, is that this new life wrestles with the sin that remains. So if we don't wrestle, friends, where is the new life? Where is the new life? So it's like, it's, you, know, it's like you stand, in the, stand in the bathroom and you look at yourself in the mirror. And if the lights are off, you, know, you, do, you, don't, see, you don't see very well, right? You think, wow, I look really good. <laughs> then the light comes out, to, oh, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> then the light gets brighter and brighter and you think, wow, okay. <laughs> look at all those blemishes, look at all those hairs that are out of place, or all, all those bald spots. Right? As the light gets brighter and brighter, we, we see ourselves more and more. And what do we see? We see our blemishes more and more. That's where the struggle comes. But right? the struggle comes not because the lights are off, but the struggle comes because we see ourselves in the full light of God's truth. We see ourselves in the full light of His holiness. And that's that's where we struggle. Right? It's a good. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know, J.I. Packer has this really helpful quote that that kind of describes what Paul is saying in Romans 7. It says, Paul wasn't struggling with sin because he was such a sinner. Paul was struggling because he was such a saint. Sin makes you numb. People who sin over and over again, what what happens? You you become desensitized to sin. If, 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 if If we feel that we don't need to repent, is it because we've been desensitized to our own sin. So G.I. Packer goes on to say that the reason Paul's struggle was so intense was not because he was caught in a web of sin or because he thought of himself as hopelessly doomed to giving in to temptations that he faced. Rather, it was because Paul lived a life so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and passionate about the glory of God that he intensely felt his sin whenever he became aware that he had committed a sin. That's the struggle in Romans 7. So finally, third question. If the law cannot make me holy, then who can? If the law is unable to make me holy, then who can? So Paul's frustration with his own inability leads him to cry out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death." Wretched man, wretched man. Every time we fail and we fall into sin, friends, we are confronted with our wretchedness, with our weakness again and again. We long to be without sin and so be fully free to please God, but in the meantime, God is using our struggle to humble us. God is using our struggle to move us to depend on Him more and more and less on ourselves. That's so why like Paul says, wretched man. Wretched man that I am. How many of, can we say that of ourselves together with Paul? Wretched. Wretched. You know, seeing our wretchedness, you know, we, we might think that seeing our wretchedness is bad for self-esteem, <laughs> bad for our confidence, self-confidence. But I, I put it to us, that seeing our wretchedness is tremendously liberating. Seeing our wretchedness is profoundly freeing for us. Why? Because seeing our wretchedness enables us to get off the performance treadmill that we're on, trying to keep up appearances, trying to hide our sin, trying to look better than we really are, seeing our own wretchedness, acknowledging wretched man that I am helps us to get off that treadmill and to really find help, which is what we need, <laughs> to really find help. Because when we humbly and honestly confess our inability, what happens? We, we experience, we, we, our hearts become open to receive the freedom that God gives, the joy and the peace that God gives When we look away from ourselves, we experience the freedom of coming to God for help, which is what we all need. So we no longer have to hide our sins in embarrassment and shame, but rather we can bring them to God. God, this is who I am, wretched. (laughs) You know, we we sing the songs like that, right? We come to you empty-handed. Paul is saying exactly that. God, I come to you wretched. I don't bring any sliver of imagined righteousness, but I come to you empty-handed. Who can save us from sin? Who can make us holy? Paul gives us the answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah, that's, that's the answer, friends. Who can make us holy? None but Jesus not our rules, not our standards, not even the law of God. Friends, none but Jesus. Are we yearning for change to be better? Uh, Do we long to turn our life around? The law cannot change our hearts. The the law cannot give us new life. The, The law cannot make our children obedient. The law cannot transform society. You know, our, our hope is not in legislation. You know, we can't expect people to really change just by legislation. Paul tells us it doesn't work. Our hope is in Christ and the power of His gospel. You know, the law is meant to lead us to Him, to help us see our sin, to help us see our inability, and the law leads us to Christ. Only Jesus has the power to save us from sin and death. Friends, we we need Jesus, and not just at the start of our Christian lives, but we need Jesus now, throughout our spiritual pilgrimage. So Paul says in Romans 7, depend on Christ, depend on Him. Now, does trusting in Jesus mean that we don't have to obey anymore? Is it just about, just I trust you and whatever? No, not at all. You know, Paul says we've been raised with Christ to new life, and He has given us His Spirit to empower us to obey Him. You now, friends, if, if we are in Christ, we have no excuse. We, in fact, we have even more reason to obey because He's given us the means to obey His Spirit. You know, just a preview of what we'll see in Romans 8. Right? Look at, listen to this, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, that's how we are made holy, through Christ and His Spirit's work in us, making us more and more like Him. The the law is good, but we are wretched. Our flesh is weak, nothing good dwells in me. The good news is that Christ frees us from our flesh. Christ frees us from our slavery to sin, gives us the Spirit, enables us to live new lives. And friends, if if we are in Christ, then we need to know that God's Spirit is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So as we read Romans 7, we realize that we don't struggle as defeated sinners, No, friends, we we struggle as grateful saints for whom Christ has won the victory. And we can say with Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Father, as we come to you now, we, we pray that you would help us to reflect on what your word says. Father, you've given us your good law, not to be a source of salvation because we can't save ourselves by works of the law, but you've given us your law to reveal our sin and to point us to the only one who has perfectly kept that law, your Son, your Son our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to you now in this time of reflection, help us to think on this question. Who or what are we trusting in to make us holy? Do we desire holiness? If not, Father, we pray that you convict us. And Father, if we have trusted in our own efforts In our own righteousness father we pray that you would reveal these to be futile help us to turn away from ourselves to look away from ourselves and to look to christ to him alone to make us holy oh father we pray that as we spend some time in reflection we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and convict us Friends, let's take this time to reflect on this text and to hear from God how is He calling you to turn to Him in desperation, in your time of need as you yearn for true change. How is He calling you to turn to Him to trust in His Son and in His Son alone? Dear Father, we thank you and praise you for the gospel. Father, we thank you that there is hope for wretched sinners like us. Father, there's nothing good in us. Nothing good dwells in our flesh. On our own, we are unable to give you the obedience that you alone require. Father, as we come to you acknowledging our wretchedness, oh Father, we 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 pray that you reveal to us in an even greater measure your grace and your mercy, your love and your compassion. Jesus says that he came to seek the lost and Father, indeed, we acknowledge that we are lost. We are lost without you. Even now, Father, even as Christians, we acknowledge that we are still unable on our own to do what you ask us. So help us, Father, Meet with us by Your grace. Help us to see more of the glory of Christ, that we would turn to Him and find in Him true freedom and life and joy and peace. Turn our hearts to Your Son, we pray, for the glory of Your name and for our good. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.